Welcome back to another episode of You Are Just a Number podcast, a podcast regarding leadership, teamwork, process improvement, and the passion people display. Today's podcast is with Ray Benkowski. Ray was and still is a software developer who believes in streamlining process systems. He took that expertise and launched himself into a leadership position. And as an effective leader, his team always believed he had their back. So sit back and enjoy Ray's story. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Ray Bankowski, and I've known Ray for quite a few years. And Ray is—he's uh, been an executive for a publishing company. Um, and he's done it all, uh, executive leadership and excellent in process improvement. So uh, we're going to just talk about, you know, some of the things he's done. So welcome aboard, Ray. Hey, Jim. It's great to, great to talk to you again. Been a few years, but um, great to have the chance to catch up with you. Yeah. So, Ray, I mean, uh, why don't you tell the people, okay, um, where you got to where you are today? Okay, get a little bit background about yourself. Sure. So, so uh, I have a degree in information technology. My, uh, I was a computer science major at a pretty small school here in uh, Connecticut, where I live, and I started off uh, developing software. I started uh, in some under some other industries. I was in construction for a little while, uh, working on costing systems. I was in pharmaceuticals for a bit, and then uh, probably four years into my career, five years into my career, I applied for a, a job for a microfilm company. Um, that was doing educational publishing. And I started developing software for them, um, publishing CD-ROMs at the time, um, you know, for into the educational market. It was always my passion to, to continue in my, uh, in my software development uh, role. And I was uh, blessed enough, I guess, to take it to the next level and start building products online. So there was a, um, there was a, a flagship product that came out of this microfilm company that really um, took my career on its uh, on a path that led me through learning how to to manage people, learning how to manage teams, um, continue with software development, learned about process improvement, learned about budgeting, finances, et cetera. And um, you know, I really had a great career as far as uh, getting into an executive role pretty early in my in my career. But I will say my passion's always been um, software development. Uh, education is certainly um, a field that I feel has been wonderful to be in, to see the success of what happens to, to students and the learning and environment. Um, so I've you know, had a long journey in the educational market, um, specializing for a long time in historical document capture and imaging. So, okay, so why don't we, can, can you talk a little bit about it? Um, so, uh, you 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 took a pretty much a a real hands-on, very antiquated system, okay, and and you played with uh, I'm going to say some statistics into the program and everything like that, and you developed a huge, great um, digital process. That's I think right. I, and I think because what what I like about it is the one thing you could tell Ray, and I'll say that right, uh, working with Ray. He, he always took a problem and said, well, we'll figure it out. He never said no. You always said that. So why don't you talk about it a little bit about that process improvement you did? So, so I've always believed in lean 
production environments. That's why I think you and I got along so well uh, in your career, because as you know, we worked together and you had a lot of the same um, beliefs I did, but I always believed in streamlining workflow systems. So when I approached the problem of digitizing millions and millions of artifacts every year, um, I quickly realized, you know, it wasn't something that could be manually done. We had to develop a system to uh, manage that workflow. So um, I took my software skills, my uh, OCR technology skills, and um, built it, it. Built an entire workflow system for the company that I was working for, all the way from the ingestion of content through the tagging of metadata, through the QA, and then through the backend process of uh, images going out to a to an online service. And the thing that I always kept in mind in, in those uh, in, in doing that work is first uh, looking for tools that already existed in that I could that I could use for the for the process. So I, I strong believe I strongly believe in using technologies that exist that solve the right problem. So I was able to uh, find software solutions that worked for for the problem I was trying to solve. The other key thing I think, Jim, that I, that I've always done uh, throughout my career and with my staff is constantly challenging about you know what we did tomorrow is the right is it still the right thing for today? So very into evolving a process. So if something just because you're doing something for three years. Maybe three years from now, there's a better technology to use. There's a, there's new uh, tools out there that can be used. So I think uh, the thing that's kept me successful is continuing to look at solving problems through emerging technologies uh, and managing people. So I mean, people are the backbone of this uh, of all environments, and having people engaged in the work that they do each day and really wanting to come to work. Um, is something that I pride myself in in doing with my employees. So let's let's let's. That's an interesting thing you bring up. Okay, let's talk about that teamwork. Okay, how did you build this team? Uh, you know, uh, just roughly, how big was this team to to do everything you were talking about? Was it ten people, twenty people? What was it? So originally, when I first started on the the problem of solving how to digitize millions of pages a year. Um, it was actually a very small team. It was only about um, 10 of us that um, managed it. Now, that I need to put a caveat there. Um, a lot of the work was being done through third parties, through, through third party vendors, but the internal staff to, to manage that was uh, a very small group of people. And, and I, I kind of lived by a few principles, Jim, is what I'd say is, you know, I always believed in being genuine and transparent with everybody I worked with. So they knew where I was coming from. I didn't, didn't hide anything. Um, I learned from my mistakes as we went along um, rather than just say, okay, here's the way things gonna, are going to be. I always open and listen to people's ideas. And I think that that uh, engagement with others and having them feel as though they're part of the process, not only feel, actually be part of the process um, has helped me be um, successful. A few of the other things that, that I learned along the way that really helped in this process is I never ever let any issues linger. So if something came up, even if it was disciplinary action or something happened um, within, within my, uh, my team, always addressed it immediately and, and, uh, and got, got it behind us. Because uh, what I've seen in business a lot is you have people who um, 
maybe you're having some performance issues or maybe even going through some issues in life that, you know, that are causing them to maybe not perform as well and having an open dialogue with, with individuals, um, I found to be extremely important. So you basically had a couple teams, you had outside vendors working for you and you had people on the inside doing it. They were doing more of the putting everything together and checking project management, project management. So how, how did you, um, help your team manage these vendors? Because wasn't these vendor schedules very important for the flow for the for your schedule? Yeah, so that that is that is a true statement. So one of the philosophies, another philosophy, I guess I, I guess I have a lot of philosophies, but <laughs> what, what, one of my philosophies was never come to me with the problem, come to me with also a solution to the problem. So that really helped me in managing both vendor and uh, employees, because if there was a problem, let's say, with uh, something that was going on offshore that was affecting us internally, my employees always knew that the first step was, okay, we need to address this immediately, like I just talked about a few minutes ago, but also um, come come with a, a potential solution to the problem. And I translated that to my vendors uh, overseas and, and had them become, I don't want to say decision makers, but whenever they came across a problem or something that they hadn't encountered before or something that was unique to the situation, um, rather than them just coming back to my staff and saying, hey, you know, here's what we found. What do you want us to do? It was, I totally flipped the conversation. It was, okay, here's the problem we found. Here's what we think we should do to solve this problem. Do you think this is the right thing to do? And if not, you know, what, how would you like to proceed with this? And then a secondary thing, would, that, would this um, new process be continued long-term or is it just a one-time instance? And what I found was that that engaged the offshore vendors as well because they felt as though they were also part of the, of the process. So I think though that simple principle of making people think about the problem and coming up with a solution rather than just posing a problem and letting others solve it has really um, served served me well, certainly with with my teams both onshore and offshore. So have you? So basically, though, that I, I mean, I, I'm going to go be a little devil's advocate with you a little bit. That only really kind of works if you follow what your teams are suggesting to you. Because if you keep telling your your team no, 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 why would they come to you with ideas? Is that not true? I'm not quite sure if I understand the question, Jim. So well, let's say, let's say person, and I'm just going to throw a number. Okay. So this problem comes up and Sally's taking care of it. Right. And say, Hey, Sally, you know, come up with the, you know, with the problem, what, what a possible solution. Okay. Sure. So if, if Sally keeps coming to Ray with solutions, but Ray never uses Sally's suggestions, it's kind of like turning off Sally. Wouldn't you not think? Uh, absolutely right so yeah if and and she would stop coming to me right so right, she, every, right. Time, she said, every time i would say no so that that's more of a coll collaboration or collaborative type conversation that that i have with folks so anybody that comes together comes with a solution there's still a conversation that has to be had around is that the right solution or is there another one but the person still needs to be involved in the in the solution I think that's the point I'm trying to make here. Is right, that right, when, right. When you have decisions made at executive levels, at management levels, and just pushed down to employees, I never, I've never seen that work. I've mm -hmm. always taken the bottom-down approach. Let's get 
people that are doing the job involved from 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 the beginning get their buy-in and Jim, there's nobody's ever going to agree with everything 100%, right? There has to be um, someone who makes the final decision. Um, but at the end of the day, at least they know they were part of the part of the decision. So that's that's what I was trying to um, try. Oh, to I, get. I, I, I knew what you were trying to get, but I, what I'm trying to get is to listeners. I mean, I, I mean, I had a, a time once upon a time. I asked, you know, a couple of people to do something, and you know, they came up with suggestions which I had already previously tried. So I said, well, you know, I just want you to know that didn't work, and this was the result. And I did notice that it was like I was losing their interest. And then finally, what I had to say to them one time, and I kind of knew the result again, but I said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Try it. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then they, so then their, their enthusiasm picked up and they, they actually fixed the problem that I could never fix. Okay. Because, you know, because they feel like, like you just said, they're part, they're part of the solution. Yeah. You need to let, you need to let people fail. And when they do fail, you need to be extremely supportive of that of that failure, because I can't tell you the number of times that I fail in my career. I mean, it, I, I we probably have a uh, I give you a week's worth of podcasts if you want to hear it every time I fail. But the one thing I've, I did with that is I learned from it. Is right. you know, okay, okay, that didn't work. Um, we've got to go on and, and do something else. And I also think that uh, I, I see this in big business, Jim. Um, Decision making can be onerous. Um, if you don't have someone who is going to take the make, you're going to have a stakeholder who's going to make the final decision. And I've also found that you can't have decision by consensus. So what I mean by that is if you're really facing a business issue that needs to be solved, you need to, you need to have as small a team as possible tackling that decision with the understanding that you're going to come out with a decision and that decision is going to be final. But when I say final, that doesn't mean you can't course correct. So you make you have to make a decision. You have to go on, uh, move on with it. But you also have to be smart enough to say, hey, I've made a decision. You know what? Three months in, uh, that wasn't quite right. Now that I'm seeing everything play out, we're going to go ahead and, and, and change the course the, uh, for the decision we made. Um, but where I see businesses um, bogged down, um, and I've seen it all my career, is when Everybody has a voice at the table. Everybody, um, everybody uh, has an opinion, and then you go with the consensus wins. Now that may sound a little um, conflicting to what I said earlier because you do need to have people involved. What right. I'm saying is you can't have, I don't know, ten different departments and have someone from every one of department have an opinion on something. Decisions will never be made, and I'll tell you right now, nobody will ever be happy because nobody will ever understand what the real decision is and how they're going to take it forward. Mm -hmm. So Ray, you started out, like you said, you're a software engineer and now, okay. now you, you, you've grown into this big thing and you built these teams. How did you, how did you adapt with that philosophy? How did you get to where you are that you knew about how getting everybody involved? It's a good question. I, I I don't know that I can point to a single instance where I said, "Oh, that was the thing that that uh, that made me successful." But but I will tell you this, Jim. Um, and I think this is comes from my from my upbringing. Um, I don't come from a, a very um, you know rich background. I don't know if that's the right term, but you know my, my background is kind of um, I, I started working you know shoveling snow when I was uh, uh, you know. 
12 years old to make uh, 25 cents at the time. But, you know, I've always come from a, a background that taught me that everybody should be treated the same. So if I'm dealing with uh, someone that's a top executive above me, I'm dealing with someone that I'm, um, you know, even a partner outside of our business or someone who's doing a day-to-day -day operations job, I always felt that I should be treating them the same. I think that served me extremely well in my career um, because, again, I, I don't see, I, I don't, my eyes don't see people at different levels. It sees people of different skill sets, but it doesn't see people. It doesn't see people as um, authoritative in some in some instances, and other people not having um, a say at the table. Okay. So I think that has helped me a lot um, as far as um, as far as how I've managed. Um, I'll say, you know, the, probably the biggest word, and uh, this is probably going to be a cliche, but respect. The one thing I believe I've earned throughout my entire career, and I use that word earned very, um, uh, you know, is, is the important word here, is that most, I'm not gonna say every, but most people that I've worked with have learned to respect me because of, of the things that I do and the way that I manage people. That you're fair um, and equal, not being always agreeing, but you're fair and equal. Fair and equal, and my staff. Um, again, I'm speaking for them, um, but I have heard this in in many um, 360 reviews and um, in exit interviews, etc. Um, my staff always felt as though I had their back. I guess is the right term. They knew that okay, um, if something something went wrong, which something's always going to get wrong, go wrong. Uh, I'm not throwing. Uh, I get another cliche here. I'm not throwing anybody on the bus we're all in this together type philosophy has always been my uh, philosophy. And I think that's really served me well um, with, with dealing with others. And, you know, it's it just looking at people as individuals rather than people that are just doing work and being interested in what they're doing um, out of work um, and understanding their communication style is another thing that, that comes to mind as I'm, as I'm talking this through Jim is, you know, not everybody learns or communicates in the same way. So the way that I would deal with one employee versus another could be totally different, could be the same, same concept, same subject, same information, but someone I might say something extremely blunt because I know that that's the way the person likes it. Another person, I have to kind of take them through a journey to get to where I needed to end up and learning those, uh, those skills, um, I, again, I can't say where I've got them from, except for uh, perhaps family background. Um, again, I think has really made, helped me uh, work with people throughout the years. Okay, okay. So let's let's go up to the next level now, okay? Because you built this, you built this great system. You've got these people in there. Now you became an executive leader. So now you're not leading for, for lack of better words, the, the ground troops. Mm -hmm. You're leading the commanders of the ground troops. Okay. So what changes now that you're more far removed from the work, but yet you're responsible for everything and you, and now you have to deal with managers, directors, whatever, but you, you know, you're dealing with the, the, the supervisors of that specific area. Does that change your style now? What, what, what happens now that you're in an executive leader? So, so two points here. First is, I, I, uh, I still remember this day, almost like it was yesterday when I was asked to move to a management role. Um, I was 
working as a software developer again for the, the company that I was that, that, that I had been working with for a long time and I was approached about moving on to a management position rather than uh, be a software developer and I, I tell you Jim it took me almost two weeks to finally accept that position because I have a passion I still do today for software engineering I love it I love building things I love solving problems I love I loved computer co uh, um, coding. But when I finally made that mental leap of, okay, I can, I can also help the business in, in leading others, um, I don't think that even when I move up the chain through manager, director, senior director, vice president, et cetera, my philosophy never, never changed. So even when I'm working with my, you know, my direct reports um, that are managing others and you know, down to the ground level, as you put it, um, I still treated them the same way that I would that, that I treated everyone else and had that open and honest communication with them. And I also strongly believed in having, um, you know, the new term today is skip level, but, you know, meetings with folks that were below me, below, you know, maybe two levels down, three levels down to really get an understanding of what they were, were doing. Uh, I will readily admit did not don't did not have the time, nor I think it's a good executive um, leadership skill to know everything they were doing, but I knew enough about what they were doing that they understood that okay, uh, I wasn't just leading from uh, you know from on high. I had an idea of what they were doing on their day to day basis, and I think that's an important for every um, for every executive leader. Um, you know, if you're on a manufacturing floor, um, I I would think that executive leaders once a month should just walk around the floor, go see what's going on, go get, you know, stay in touch with, um, with the, all the individuals within your organization. And I think that you'll find that, that, that that's going to help make you successful. I don't know if that quite answered your question because my answer really was, Jim, I don't know that it changed it that much. I really <laughs> think it was more the same philosophy. Um, now there are certain business conversations along the way that can't be shared all the way down, um, down the line because of you know, protecting business um, information or maybe there's a, a change to come that, um, that is going to be, that, that's going to affect others and you have to protect that stuff. So I still believe you have to be as transparent as possible, but you also have to know where that line is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, 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 don't, I would like to actually talk about that for a moment. So um, is, managing through change. So I can't tell you the number of times uh, I've had to manage um, layoffs, um, people departing, uh, folks that were not performing well for lots of reasons um, and had to be let go, et cetera. And it certainly was, it had never been a fun part of the job, but I always, I, I did never shied away from that. So Whenever there was a hard discussion to be have, I always put myself in the middle of it rather than ran away from it. So I think that's really important when you look at change and change management is realize that people are going to go through certain um, emotions. They're going to go through certain, um, you know, kind of ups and downs and they're and they're, they're going to not understand why things are happening and being patient again, listening to folks and then engaging them in the in the final decision um i think is really important and i think you know change is something that within business can be really disruptive in both a positive and negative way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. depending on how you deal with it 
But but change is inevitable in any business, both up and down. Okay, I guess I I, I talked to this one person um, the other day, and he calls it the infinite game. Business is the infinite game. You, there's no beginning and there's no end. All you want to do is stay in the game, and it's kind of true. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes there's change just for the sake of change. Unfortunately, right. uh, you right. know, business is going on for a while and they're kind of feeling like they haven't um, made a change in a while. And, you know, let's make a change just for the sake of making change. Unfortunately, those type of things do happen. And mm -hmm. the other thing, and I've seen, I'm sure you've seen this in your career, is I can't tell you the number of times the same cycle has repeated itself. <laughs> in other words, one time you're doing it this way, and then somebody decides, well, that's not the way we're going to do it anymore. And then about three years later, you're back to the way you did it originally. Exactly. Or they, or they change the name of the uh, of the technique, but it, at the end of the day, it's it's all the same, right? But you know what I take from that is that I said this, you know, I said a few minutes ago that disruption and change can be good or bad. Um, it's depending on how you deal with that situation. Mm -hmm. So if you every time there's a change, you kind of say, well, you know. It, 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 you take it um, personal and you think there's something going on with the way you're doing something or you, you know, you can't buy into the, the, to the, to the decision that can be a real negative thing. Mm -hmm. But if you can understand that businesses just go through these cycles and learn to work your way through it, then uh, it can be a real positive thing because usually out of change, there are some positive that come out of it, either a, a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking, um, a new process uh, may occur. So there are positives that come out of change um, and not they're not always negative. And but plus your team also looks at you to see how you accept the change yeah. because if you don't accept it well, then they're not going to accept it well. But if you, you know, see the positive side of it, they're going to see the positive side of it too. But, you know, they, they emulate their leader pretty much. Yeah. Yep. And, and don't, and don't overreact, right? That, right. that is that is a big thing that I've seen is um, people overreact to things um, that at the end of the day, um, kind of the old term, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill. Right. Um, you just got to be willing to accept change. Um, so I just think it's important. Um, the reason I brought it up, Jim, is I think it's an important topic as far as something I learned along my along the way is that um, embrace change. Don't run from it. Uh, understand it. Yes, it can be um, you know disruptive for a short period of time, but if you can learn to to deal with it, um, you're going to be much better off in your career. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. So let's talk about. Um, so in your career, I mean, you've done process improvement and leadership. Could you just say how they connect to each other? How they help one another? So yeah, back to my back to process improvement. So process improvement has been the underlying the underpinnings of everything I think I've done in my career. Um, and might even be that I'm a little OCD about it, but the reality, the reality is, is I just, um, I, I just can't, I can't stand watching a process that's laborious when it can be streamlined. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, the, the thing that I've, um, the thing that I've learned about industry and about, um, about all processes is that if I'm faced up with a problem, it's likely someone else has already been faced with that problem. So one of my first things that I do in those situations is go and do some research. What, you know, I'm having a problem with, um, I don't know, processing some type of a, uh, a workflow. And 
I'm in a, it's, it's a bottleneck and I can't figure out my way through it. The first thing I do is try to figure out, is there someone who's already, already dealt with this and learn from their, their experiences rather than relearn them. I think you might've mentioned that earlier, something similar to that is, you know, you, like you were saying earlier that you had already tried a process and realized it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to, uh, you were going to, wasn't going to work. Why do I want to reinvent something that you already know and have proved? Right. Um, so I've always looked at things from how can they be streamlined? How can they be done faster? How can they be done um, less, you know, less costly, if you will. Um, and people sometimes look at that and think that I like to cut resources and cut, um, you, know, you know, costs. But the reality is, is I'm really looking to streamline a process that um, that people don't like to do. So um, if you approach it from the standpoint of, okay, if, you know, Jim Zellin every day has to get up and he has these 10 things he has to do for his job, but, you know, three of those things he really hates to do. That's where I focus my effort is how do I get rid of those three things that are really making it difficult for, for Jim to enjoy his job and then, you know, work on, work on, um, work on those things. So you're, you're engaging the people that actually do the job too. That's right. And trying to figure out what, and, and, and helping them do the, the work that they actually find fulfilling and um, less tedious, and then finding a solution for the things that they find very tedious and trying to remove those for them. As far as that translate into my executive role, um, I, I, I don't know that it has, it, other than it's an underlying philosophy that I, that I follow, um, I don't know that it has um, has any direct relationship to anything I've done from an executive level. Okay, okay, all right. So, so Ray, in closing here, what what kind of uh, words of advice with your background? I mean, you you you're a different type of person. But one thing I do I notice with a lot of people, a lot has to do with their upbringing. Uh, I mean, you know, well, your upbringing actually cuts into your job. Okay, yep. so uh, so what kind of advice? Say a young guy young woman, they want to get into this. Okay. What advice would you give them? So there's a few things you brought up an important one to me, but it was certainly will not, um, it will not translate to everyone, but for me, uh, family first. So, um, and I say that because I'm, I do come from a very strong, healthy family. And I understand that there are folks that, that don't have that luxury, but what I mean by family first is in, maybe I should say, individual first, if, that, if that's better, is make sure that you're taking care of your, yourself first. And I've always led with that again in my, um, with my employees that um, if something's going on at home, um, that's much more important than uh, the, the job at that point in time. And we'll find a way to get through the time. So family first. The other thing that, um, uh, that I really encourage people to think about and continue to do in their career is never start, stop learning. So when you, when, you, when you find yourself kind of stagnant or not happy in your job, or you find that um, um, you know, you're just kind of going in and doing a daily routine, there's still opportunity for you to learn, even if it's something outside of your job. So keep your mind engaged by, by learning things. Um, I think some people that um, may listen to this podcast will say, uh, I'm over the top on that. Um, meaning that whenever I had a problem that needed to be solved, even if it 
or, or knew about a problem that had to be solved, I always did the research and learned about it probably to the nth degree, which um, I think bothered, it may have bothered people because I got to know things um, better than I, than I needed to. But I always looked at it as, okay, I, I, if I'm going to work on something, I really need to understand it rather than just do the job. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, you know, to your point of people that are just starting their career is that will really um, resonate and really help people in their career is don't just do a job, understand why you're doing it, how it, how you're doing it, other solutions for doing it and take the time to, to learn new things. And then finally, Jim, I would say, listen, sometimes there's just a, a, a there, not sometimes, there's always time just to, to listen to others. Um, I've, uh, I've been, um, I've had some time off uh, uh, in the last month or so. And in that time, I have spoken to, I, I can't even tell you the number of people, almost on a daily basis, just having conversations around what they're doing in their career, how things are going, trends they see in the industry. And I've learned so much just in uh, in this last month. Where prior to this, um, I you know I, I was finding myself heads down and in, in doing a day to day job, and I hadn't taken that time to kind of just sit back and listen. And I, I tell you, it really has opened my eyes. And I think that um, I think it's something I'm going to continue to carry forward. Now is continue to just to listen people, listen to people and learn from them because I think that that's our best, um, you know, what some of, some of the best things we can gain in life is just by listening to others and what, uh, what they've learned in, in their career path. Okay. I do have one more question for you, Ray. Um, sure. Cause you brought up an interesting thing. You said it took you a couple weeks to decide to go from being a software developer engineer mm -hmm. to a manager. So, when someone, what, can you give any advice to somebody that's, you know what, th th they're trying, they're thinking about that transition you thought about? Is there anything you could say to them that might help them go either way? It's a, it's a great question, Jim. First, I do think there, I think that that decision, I think it was the right one for me. It may not be the right one for everyone. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's a thing in business. We always have to do reviews and we always have to look at people and how they're performing and, uh, oh, you know, what's their next career move, et cetera. But there are, there are absolutely a certain group of people that love what they do. They come to work every day, very fulfilled and don't have a desire to go do the next thing. That's okay. And, th and people have to realize that it's not, you don't, not everybody has to take a career path that leads them from, um, like mine happened to go from, from a software development all the way up to a vice president position. That was, that was the career that I chose and the path I chose. Um, I, it'd be very interesting to see how things would have changed if I had said no to that position and stayed as a software developer. So what I'm, the way I'm answering your question here, Jim, is that I think you have to have some self-inflection and decide what you really want to do with your career whenever you come to those points in, in uh, a career decision. There were many times along the way where I had opportunities to do other things or, or was asked um, outside of the company I was working for to come and do different things. And each time I sat down and said, okay, well, you know, what do I want to do? What's, uh, what's fulfilling to me? Um, 
what, what do I want to see happen in, in my career? And um, I made that decision. And some of that was in consultation with my family at the time, right? So um, I'm at a different stage in my life than I you know, was obviously 30 years ago. And I may, may make different decisions. But um, you know, I'm a big proponent of um, taking a piece of paper, putting a line down the middle, putting pros on one side, cons on the other side, and really thinking uh, the situation through. So what I would say is be thoughtful about the decision you make. But once you make the decision, you know, live with it, learn from it and move on. And um, opportunities will continue to um, to be there if you're looking for them. And that's a very key point there. You know, some people want opportunities just to show up on the doorstep. They're out there. You just need to if you really want an opportunity to go do something or you feel like you want to do something in your career or even in your life. The reality is, is is they're out there but you've got to go looking for them right they're not going to find you you got to go find them yeah once in a while they'll find you right right you know the old right right place right time but majority of the time um you know you have to um you have to go find them and, and you know i guess i'll conclude with this jim and this is uh again just my personality is um i've never taken myself others business um to um what's the right term here? I've never taken it um, too, too straightforward. I've always had a sense of humor right? and right. led with that sense of humor um, at times, uh, you know, probably uh, too much, but uh, I always felt that you, you have to live and, 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 and love and, and laugh because without those things, uh, you know, a job is a job and you get bogged down in it where, um, Every day, uh, you know, I think people should laugh as much as they can. Oh, yeah. Laughter. Laughter makes those problems a little easier to contend with. Yep. And be willing to laugh at yourself. Oh, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray, I really want to thank you for taking the time out and uh, sharing your experiences with everybody. Jim, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's great to, to talk to you and to uh, have some time to, to do this with you. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed Ray's story. As you heard, he is very genuine and transparent with his principles. I find it interesting that he saw people at their skill sets and not their level in the organization. He allowed people to fail, was very supportive of that failure. Additionally, he didn't like issues to linger. Ray, thanks for sharing your leadership style. As you know, I am always looking for unique and interesting stories to share with our listeners. So if you have an interesting idea or story you would like to talk about, just contact me at youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters U R just a number.com. Until next time, have a great day.